What is up, everybody? Welcome to Games Are Fun, the weekly video game podcast where I, your host, Luke, come at you every week with video game news stories and highlights. From the past week, I give you my thoughts and opinions on the coolest stories that I read. But that's not all I'm doing this week. I got some new stories, but I also got a cool little thing at the end. I think it's cool. I wanted to share with you guys my top three worst games I've ever played. Last week, I asked you guys the question, what was the worst games you have ever played? You guys sent in some suggestions. So at the end of the show, I'm going to read those out. And I'm also going to share with you my top three least favorite games I've ever played. But before all that, I got some cool news stories found some articles that I read this past week that I found interesting and wanted to share them with you guys here. So first story I got for you guys today is Microsoft's gaming division makes 10 billion in a year for the first time ever. I'm also gonna talk about Fortnite's birthday event that was just recently announced. There was also a cool Spider-Man PS4 Pro bundle announced at San Diego Comic-Con that I'm gonna share with you guys. There's a really cool sneak peek about the fallout vault dwellers cookbook that is going to be coming out so i'm going to talk about that and then lastly the last story i got for you guys is overwatch players have met with the olympic committee to talk about getting esports in the olympics i got lots of thoughts on that and then of course as i mentioned at the end of the show i will share with you uh, my least favorite games. So that's the show this week. It's a little bit more packed than usual. That's just because I found a lot of cool stories that I wanted to talk to you guys about. So that's where it's at. Um, if this is your first time on the show, make sure you give me all the all the support by giving me a subscribe or a like or comment on this episode. If you're listening to on Castbox, iTunes, or SoundCloud, make sure you subscribe. If you like what you hear, any little bit of support is super appreciated podcast we're in episode nine here and it is continuing to grow so thank you so much for everyone who has taken the time out of their day to give a listen and a special thank you to everybody who has taken the time to send me their thoughts on the show i learn a little bit with each episode so thank you all for being patient and sending you know feedback to me on how i can improve the show it is every episode's a learning process and I hope that the show just keeps getting better and better. I'm really having a good time doing that. So if you want to send any comments, feedback, topic suggestions to me, you can send them to the email address gamesarefunpodcast at gmail.com or you can hit me up on Facebook. Just search for Games Are Fun, all one word. Uh, You can give that page a like or reach me through message messenger on Facebook. Also head over to Instagram, Games Are Fun Podcast. I post pictures of my game collection, which is quite big. And you can also send me DMs on Instagram if you want to send anything my way. So let's get into the show. The first story I got for you guys this week is Microsoft's gaming division makes $10 billion in a year for the first time. So this story I'm reading from IGN.com by Shabana Arif. And so Microsoft has announced its financials for the year ending June 30th, and the company has surpassed $10 billion in revenue in its games and services division for the first time. So that is a 39% increase in revenue in the division. And it has been credited to a large part of Xbox Live, obviously, Game Pass, and Mixer. So CEO Sat- Satya Nadella of Xbox or Microsoft's gaming division says in gaming we are pursuing our expansion 
expansive opportunity from the way games are created and distributed to how they are played and viewed, surpassing $10 billion in revenue this year for the first time. Yeah, that was it. I don't know why I read it like that. I, th I thought she had another th thing to say there. Um, we are investing aggressively in content community and cloud services across every endpoint to expand usage and deepen engagement with gamers. The combination of Xbox Live, Game Pass, subscriptions, and Mixer are driving record levels of growth and engagement. During its press conference at E3 2018, Microsoft detailed its plans to add more titles to Game Pass as well as announcing the Fast Start feature. Next month at GamesCon, Microsoft is set to announce some new console bundles and a limited edition Xbox One X is also expected to debut. So this was a cool little piece of information because it is a positive article linked to Xbox. And I say why I say that as almost as it's a surprise because as we all know, Xbox has struggled this generation. The Xbox One has not performed to the levels that the Xbox 360 did. It is trying to play catch up with Sony. PS4 is selling just huge numbers of consoles around the world and Xbox has not done as well. So the fact that they're seeing a $10 billion in revenue this year, which is 39% uh, increase is huge. That's a huge number and that's something that should not go unmissed. I know that everybody's interested in the business aspect of the gaming industry, but I think it also is kind of important to kind of acknowledge when things like this happen. Um, you know, we're the consumer, we're responsible for these things, and it shows that we're obviously liking what Microsoft has been doing. And a major part of that, which was mentioned, is Xbox Game Pass. So Xbox Game Pass is a subscription service. You pay, you can either pay month to month or you can pay for a full year, and you get access to a library of games that you can download and play as much as you want. And as long as you are an active Xbox Game Pass subscriber, you can play those games. They're downloaded, they're in your library, you can play them. Now each month they add new games and they remove some games just like Netflix does. But it's important to know that these are not games that are streamed, these are actually downloaded. You're actually downloading a version of the game and that subscription gives you kind of the license to play the game. So I got Xbox Game Pass. I didn't get it right when it came out. I thought about it a bit. I let the library build up and now there's a wide library of games and some really, really good quality games. Fallout 4 was just put on there recently. Um, Elder Scrolls Online is now on there. The Division, these are all AAA games that have now found their way onto Xbox Game Pass. And that's just three games out of, I think there's hundreds of games on there. Some are, you know, backwards compatible Xbox 360 games, but some are some real good AAA games. And just this year, they announced that they are having first party studios, first party games are going to be released day and date on Xbox Game Pass. So for example, Sea of Thieves, when it was released out in the retail world, it also was available for Xbox Game Pass subscribers. State of Decay 2 was another game. Um, and so all future games, or so they say all future Xbox first party games are going to see day and date releases on Game Pass. And that was what actually made me subscribe to Game Pass. And I think when that announcement was made, they saw a huge number of subscriptions come in for Game Pass because, you know, most of the time, 
I'm not going to buy a game for $80 when it comes out. I'm going to wait for it to be a little bit cheaper. And so if I can get a game from the subscription service that I'm already using, I think that's a huge, huge win for Microsoft. I think that was a really smart idea. And I think that's what's led to them being able to increase their numbers so much. And so I think they can only go up from here. I think whatever the, they're going to continue Game Pass onto the next generation. And I think Sony's taking note of what Microsoft is doing. And I think they're going to come at it with their own kind of subscription service. They have a similar uh, subscription service called PlayStation Now. But the only difference with that is that those games are streamed. They're not downloaded. So you're not going to get the same quality uh, from playing those games as game pass has been able to provide and they're also not releasing you know first party sony games day and date like microsoft has been started started doing so i just thought this was cool i think that that's a great sign for microsoft and you know with that increase in revenue it just means that they can spend that money on newer our newer things and newer updates and put that money towards making a comeback in the next generation. So that was pretty cool to see. I do recommend, I obviously, <laughs> I'm not paid by Microsoft to talk up Game Pass, but I, I, I've I, only saying this because that's exactly how I feel. I love Game Pass. There are trials for the subscription service. I really recommend it. If you are a gamer that likes to play a variety of different games, definitely get Xbox Game Pass because there's lots of games on there that you can give a shot. So that was the first story. Um, that I wanted to share with you guys this week. Moving on. So Fortnite's first anniversary is coming up and they are celebrating it with some special prizes and an in-game event on July 24th. And so before I say anything, it's kind of crazy to me to think that Fortnite is now a year old. I remember jumping in on Fortnite Battle Royale when it was still in beta like it had just been released and at that point in time I was really interested in PUBG but I it wasn't on Xbox yet I don't have a gaming PC but I was watching a lot of PUBG streams and I saw Fortnite was on Xbox it was free to download so I gave it a shot and I played the crap out of it and when it finally got a full release and was officially released that's actually when I kind of dropped off playing Fortnite for whatever reason, I just, you know, I had got enough of it. And since then, they've added so much content. The game is actually bigger and better than it was when I played it. And so recently, I jumped in for the first time playing Fortnite in a long time. I hadn't played Fortnite for a while. And I did it uh, with my girlfriend cross-platform play. So I was playing on my Nintendo Switch, and she was playing on the, the my Xbox One. And I know this is old news. This is something cross-platform play has existed on other platforms you know lots of people have experienced this specifically with Fortnite since it's come out but I just got to say it is so cool that I can play on my switch and play with someone on Xbox one or on PC or something like that that's to me just so cool because I remember as a kid having a console and your friend had another console and not being able to play games together right because you know, those are two separate companies. They're never going to work together. The fact that Nintendo and Xbox are kind of partnering up on things, I think, shows that we got a bright future ahead when it comes to cross-platform play. But enough of that. 
let's get on with this Fortnite birthday celebration. So the battle bus in the battle royale mode is getting a birthday makeover and a new set of birthday challenges allowing you to unlock special anniversary items. This is coming again from IGN from Michael Coxwara. I believe that's how you pronounce it. So some of the birthday challenges are deal 1000 damage to opponents to unlock the Fortnite birthday emoticon. Dance at different birthday cakes to unlock the happy birthday spray. Play 14 matches to unlock 5,000 XP. Complete all three challenges to earn the birthday cake back bling. Now that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> so it's not clear whether or not any temporary changes will come to the Fortnite map, but the challenges indicate you'll find birthday cakes scattered about. I don't think they're gonna change the map too much. You know, we got seasons five new map just was released and so I, don't, I think that's exactly it. They're just going to have these birthday cakes scattered around the map. They're not going to change too much of, you know, they just made a big change. Um, and there are some birthday quest lines for, for Save the World Fortnite mode. I'm not going to go over that because let's be honest, nobody plays that mode. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's cool. I think it's cool. Games with service like this that release timed events like that i know i was really interested in overwatch when they did that with like chinese new year and christmas events and halloween events and so it's you know this is not new fortnite is known to do seasonal events like that but it's cool that you know one year later they are specifically putting in some new game content for those players after it being a year old and you know the game's a year old and it is seriously still i just the reason why it's talked about so much is because it's just it blows a lot of people away on just how big it is i can't still comprehend why this game is like i get it i get why it is so fun but it just it still blows my mind and i don't see it dying anytime soon plus i had to talk about fortnite let's be honest if i put fortnite in the title of my podcast i'm getting all the clicks <laughs> the last podcast episode where I put Fortnite in the title got double the amount of listens than any of my other podcasts. So let's be honest, that's actually why I'm doing it for that clickbait. So now that I got the clickbait article over, let's move on to the next topic. So limited edition Marvel Spider-Man PS4 Pro Bundle was announced. This thing looks freaking sweet. If I didn't already have a PS4, I would go out and buy this even though I cannot afford a PS4 Pro. This thing just looks so sweet. So Sony just recently announced the limited edition Marvel Spider-Man PlayStation 4 Pro bundle. We all knew it was coming. Spider-Man's coming out on September 7th. It's a couple months away. It's a big flagship game. They're gonna pair it with a special edition console. It, it, I'm not too surprised by it, um, but it looks sweet. The whole console's red, and on the top of it is a white, you know, spider logo. And it comes with a cool PS4 controller that's all red and has white buttons. So it looks really, really cool. Of course, the bundle also comes with uh, the game, from my understanding. Uh, I think it's probably a digital edition of the game, but don't quote me on that. Um, so yeah, this is cool. I love when they release limited edition consoles. I think Sony has done a really good job at releasing those limited edition consoles uh, this generation. 
they're cool. I look back at some limited edition consoles from the 360 era, even the PlayStation 2 era, and those consoles stand out. People want them nowadays because they look, they're limited edition and they're cool. And so I think it's cool that Sony is continuing to make these limited edition consoles. You know, we had the Battlefront one a couple years ago. We had Metal Gear Solid 5 version. We had the Uncharted 4 version. Most More recently, we had the God of War edition. Wasn't a big fan on that. But this, I guarantee this PlayStation 4 Pro Spider-Man edition is going to sell like hotcakes. Like it looks really sweet. So if you're on kind of thinking about getting a PS4 or maybe you want to trade in your regular PS4 for a PS4 Pro, I would wait till this console comes out and definitely go check it out. It's going to retail at $500 Canadian, which is, I believe, what the Pro bundle is at right now um, in Canada. So make sure you check that out. I'm really excited for Spider-Man. I can't wait for the game to come out. I'm sure when it comes out, I'm going to do a whole episode devoted to talking about it. So cool stuff there. Moving on, Fallout Vault Dwellers Cookbook. We got a sneak peek of that, something that is coming out re coming out here in the future um bethesda recently released some uh kind of preview recipes that are going to be included in this book so this is kind of cool this is uh an extra something that doesn't need to exist follow is a video game it's an open world survival post-apocalyptic game and the fact that they've made a cookbook with recipes that relate to in-game you know food and some of the items in the game I think is hilarious. So this article is coming from Seth G. Macy from IGN.com. I get a lot of my news articles from IGN. They, uh, they keep up to date with all the news articles. So that's why I pull from them a lot. So have you ever wanted to curl up by the fire with a hot bowl of Blamco mac and cheese or cool off? after battling a horde of raiders with a tall, cold Nuka-Cola float. Those Fallout-inspired food items are now a reality, and you can make them on your own by following these preview recipes from the upcoming Fallout The Vault Dwellers official cookbook. So they released some images, kind of a preview to the cookbook um, with some recipes on it. So they got Blamco mac and cheese, Blamco mac and cheese is, you know, an item you can find lying around in the Fallout world. And it's basically just a, you know, a recipe for mac and cheese. Um, but they got like a Nuka-Cola float. Uh, they have a, <laughs> they have bacon wrapped scallops, but then they cross that out and title it as mystery meat wrapped Nuka Lurk. <laughs> and they got braised death claw steak. So I think that's funny. It's obviously just a marketing thing. Um, but whenever there's kind of these side products that relate to gaming, I think they're they're kind of cool. Obviously, I'm not going to go out of my way to buy this. But it's a cool gay gift, especially for somebody who is really into the Fallout world. I think that's kind of a cool item. Um, so yeah, go over to IGN.com. Check it out for yourself if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Last news story I got for you guys is Overwatch players are involved in talks with the Olympic Committee to discuss esports opportunities. So before I get into the article, I'll just say that esports are a growing industry. 
we have seen a huge increase in the esports um, world. There are a ton of games that are recognized as an official esport. People compete in these games for you know cash prizes and for titles, and it's becoming such a big industry that it's actually competing with you know regular sports. Now there's a big debate in the sports world that doesn't classify these uh, esports as being a sport. It's a game. Um, to that, I just say you know. Hockey is a game, baseball is a game, football is a game. These are video games. You know, where there's two opponents and they're competing to win. And one person walks away a winner, the other a loser, just like they do in all other sports games. So they're different. It doesn't involve the physical activity, but they're both games. Let's be honest. Hockey, all those sports are games. These are This is just a different type of game, just like chess is a game. Um, just like darts is a game. Just because there isn't a physical level to it doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't classify as a game. So, you know, in recent years, we have seen esports growing in the general public's... uh, In the general public are are now... Or just average gamers are now following esports just because it's really easy to follow you can jump on twitch you can go on mixer and you can watch league of legend matches or you can watch overwatch league Um, you can watch rocket league events even if you go to the movie cineplex advertises you know esports competitions that are happening i remember i was just recently at the movies and there was one um for what game was it I think it was for Rocket League, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but in the, yeah, they've advertised Street Fighter or Call of Duty. Like these are all events that are happening nowadays, and I think they're cool. I think they're great. People that don't see the point to them aren't the aren't the kind of people that would be into gamers. And yeah, I think it's cool. You know, the Blizzard recently announced uh, ABC, ESPN, and Disney would be broadcasting the Overwatch League playoffs. So this is cool because video games have always... Now that we're... I think the industry now has seen that if we're on TV, we're being taken serious. Video games as a, a medium has always been overshadowed by movies, by TV, um, by sports all those kinds of things that are broadcast on network TV and the fact that now video games is creeping in into that industry is really cool that they're going for the mainstream audience to to be able to see these kinds of events so that's kind of what how I see esports and so it's interesting to me that there's been talks about this in years past of having esports being part of the Olympics but just recently, two players from the Overwatch League are currently in Switzerland to meet with International Olympic Committee and Global Association of International Sports Federations to discuss potential Olympic opportunities for esports. So this is again coming from IGN.com. Jacob Jake Lyon of the Houston Outlaws and Si Yon Giguri 
Kim of the Shanghai Dragons are the two Overwatch League players in attendance. The conference, which will wrap up tomorrow, is not about creating a specific plan for integrating esports into the Olympics immediately, according to Overwatch Wire. Instead, the two-day summit will focus on creating a relationship between esports professionals and the International Olympic Committee. According to a tweet from GAISF President Patrick Bowman, other attendees include Epic Games co-founder and VP Mark Ryan, Blizzard Entertainment co-founder Mike Morham, and professional StarCraft II player Dario TLO, TLO Wunsch. I think that's how you pronounce it. So this was uh, the reason why this article caught my eye is because, as I mentioned earlier, you know, video games are always wanting to be taken more seriously. They want to, they want esports to be recognized as an official sport. They want it to be put at the same level as all these other sports. Now, that being said, I don't know if esports necessarily fit in with the Olympics, and the reason being is. You know, there's lots of games and sports out there that aren't necessarily should be in the Olympics. Like, baseball is a sport that is broadcasted all around the world, but it's not a Olympic sport because it's long and boring, in my opinion. No, it's, you know, basically what I'm trying to get at is I don't think every single game should be in the Olympics, but as they mentioned in the article, they weren't meeting with the uh, Olympic Committee to formalize getting esports into the Olympics right away and, and creating a structure around that, but just having talks uh, with them to kind of get the conversation going around it, right? Creating a, relation, a relationship between the, the Olympic Committee and esports so that maybe in the future they could host, you know, World Cup events or international esports events um, on a just a bigger scale right these are continuing to grow and I think that that's great um, I'm not expecting esports to show up anytime soon on on the the summer Olympic Games but I think it's cool that they're in talks of how to kind of grow this industry and get it more accessible to the wider to a wider audience so that's interesting. I think Overwatch is a fun game to watch. It's a fun game to play, and I think that's a great starting point for uh, the IOC to look at. That's a game that you know I think would do really well. A game like League of Legends or Dota 2, those are games that I think would have a more difficult time um, appealing to the general public. So that's cool. Uh, I think that was just a cool story that I wanted to throw in there. Uh, I'd like to know what you guys think of esports, though. You know, send me a comment on what your thoughts are around esports. Do you consider them a sport? Do you compare, put them on the same level as professional sports like hockey, baseball, football? Um, or do you think that, you know, these games should be in the Olympics? I'd like to hear your thoughts around that. So send those in. And with that said, we those are your stories that I got for you this week. Not huge stories, not uh, major headlines by any means, but all stories that while I was scrolling through the news, those were stories that caught my eye that I thought were kind of interesting that I wanted to share with you guys today. 
and now I'm going to share with you guys your worst games you have ever played. Some of you wrote in to me with your least favorite games ever played, and so I'm going to share them with you guys right now. So Coleman Dean writes in and says, So as far as the worst game I've ever played, back in the PS3 generation, I remember playing an online-only first-person shooter called MIG. Keep in mind that this game came out the year after Modern Warfare 2. I remember this game being a cool concept because the servers held 256 players in a match, however the game felt more like a PS2 game on the PlayStation 3. Years later I attempted to bring the game to EB Games and I remember being offered 6 cents. So I think I ended up just replacing the case for another game I had cracked with the Meg case and threw the game out. Have a good one, sincerely Coleman Dean. Well, Coleman, thanks for writing in. Uh, Meg, I actually got the opportunity to play. I never owned a PlayStation 3, but I went over to a friend's house who had rented Meg from Blockbuster near the final days of Blockbuster uh, when they were still around. Uh, yeah, they had told me, so I didn't know too much about the game because I was an Xbox, an Xbox fanboy. And I heard, I kind of heard about this game, and then my friend told me exactly, basically what Coleman outlined, that it was an online-only game focused on, you know, online multiplayer matches, and it was done on a extreme level of having 256 players all in one match. So that idea on paper sounds really wicked. And you have to remember, this is at a time when uh, large games weren't as possible weren't as popular just because of the restrictions that came with creating servers to hold that many players at once um there definitely were around i'm not saying they weren't but you know we look at today fortnite PUBG, those are all games that on you know the servers can hold a hundred players in one match um battlefield are you know big matches where you can have a lot of players playing against each other at once but 256 is huge when you think about it and so that's pretty ambitious that's something that uh, would be considered um, quite a feat for a video game to pull off and so yeah I remember my friend telling me about this game and thinking wow that sounds like wicked right it's like Call of Duty because that's what everyone was playing at that time you know Coleman mentioned Modern Warfare 2 just came out. Call of Duty is at its, you know, peak of its uh the of its of its popularity. And so this game comes out and it sounds cool, but it didn't work out for them. So the reason why um it didn't work out, I think it was just because of the execution so it reviewed fairly averagely you know think of like high 60s 70s i think on metacritic uh it holds like a, a mid 70s mark which isn't bad that's like a, a fairly decent game um you know it was praised for its large multiplayer um servers and therefore it got you know some lean way with that but it did have some bugs really poor animations um, unbalanced factions and the game just didn't look super polished you know 
Coleman, you say, mentioned that it looked like a PS2 game on a PS3. And so that's going to definitely turn away some people. And, you know, so basically with all that, you know, uh, awkward technical aspects of the game, it decreased in players. And so because of that, you know, servers were actually eventually shut down. So on January 28, 2014, the online servers for Meg were shut down completely. So the fact that it is an online game only, having its servers servers shut down meant that the game is no longer playable. So if you have Meg, you there's no way you could play it. Um so hence why EB Games Coleman offered you six cents for the game because it's it's not playable anymore. Um, so I think deep down, depending on how many copies they sold, I think this game will be like a weird like collector item in like 20, 30 years, right? For like the weird collectors that want to have a game even though they can't play it. Um, that's what I think will happen with Meg. I think that's how it will make a comeback in... Uh, it'll have some sort of cult following, which sounds weird, but collectors are weird like that. Um, and so that's what I think. But yeah, it's it's too bad. I think, you know, if they had the game polished and had, you know, Call of Duty level of gameplay mixed in with that 256 players on a map, it would have it would have done really well for itself. So, yeah, like I was mentioning, my friend, he rented it from Blockbuster and my general thoughts were it were exactly what everyone else thought. I thought this is really cool, this is ambitious. Play it and you're like, "Oh, this is not great. The execution on this is pretty poor." So, unfortunately, that's what happened with Meg. So, Coleman, thanks a lot for that suggestion. I totally forgot about that game until you had sent it in. So, thanks thanks for bringing that up. I appreciate it. And the second person to send in was Brian Paquin. Shout out to you, Brian, um, sending in his least favorite games. He sent in a couple. And so the worst game he thinks he's ever played is No Man's Sky before the, the new update. I went on a tangent last week about what No Man's Sky looked like, and I talked about the new update that's coming out and how it's kind of revamped the game. But a lot of people will put No Man's Sky as their least favorite game of all time because of the lack of content. It was, Ryan says it was literally the most boring experience uh, I've ever played. I think it's the only game I've played upwards of 15 to 20 hours without going anywhere. So, yeah, that's exactly what No Man's Sky was on release. I couldn't even put in more than five hours before I being like, this is a giant waste of my time. It is boring, it's empty, this seemed more like it seems like I'm putting in work to play this game and I'm not actually enjoying myself. So for that reason, I'm not going to put the time into it. That was my thoughts around playing No Man's Sky. And obviously it seems like uh, people like Brian felt the same. The fact, Brian, that you actually put in 15 to 20 hours, I got to give you credit to that because that was more than I could handle. So going back on last week's episode about the update, I'm excited to kind of see what that game can do and if it can bring me back in if i play it and it's still you know not winning me over i'm done that's it i'm sorry no man's sky but i've given you more than enough attention this game just is not working out for me but i'm fairly optimistic about it and hopefully they can pull it off 
He also says, uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon are bad too. I felt let down by the excessive hand-holding and lack of freedom. Feels more like a tutorial than a game. I think I can safely say it's the worst Pokemon experience. Heck, I had more fun with Hey You Pikachu. Uh, speaking of which, that is also a terrible game. Absolutely terrible. So, Pokemon Sun and Moon are, well, I can't say the most recent po Pokemon uh Editions because they have Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, but I'm assuming that those are just uh, enhanced versions of Sun and Moon. And Pokemon is wanting to be more take taken more serious serious, I think, um, which isn't a good idea in my opinion. Pokemon does well keeping to its traditional mechanics and gameplay. That's what makes the Pokemon series what it is. And so when Sun and Moon introduced all these cutscenes and extra kind of content, it pulls the player away from why they like playing Pokemon games. And I think that's kind of what Brian's, uh, you know, referring to here with Pokemon Sun and Moon. Now, I got Sun and Moon and is the one I played Pokemon X, beat it, played Pokemon Omega Ruby, and Sun is the next uh, generation of Pokemon on the 3DS systems. And... Yeah, I, I totally felt the same way. I could not find myself getting deep into the gameplay just because I felt like it was not... Uh, the flow of it was was off. You had to watch these long cutscenes. The tutorial, I just... I want them to get rid of the freaking tutorials in Pokemon games because, you know, I, I know that there's new generations coming into the Pokemon games for the first time, but make it optional. If we play... Like, some of us have been playing Pokemon since you know the late 90s and so we know how pokemon works we get the concept of it let us skip the tutorial and get into the gameplay don't put us through an hour of boring tutorial on how to play a game we know how to play so hopefully with pokemon uh let's go pikachu and let's go eevee you know it's a reimagining of pokemon yellow you're gonna have a lot of fans who have played pokemon yellow back in the day so I'm kind of worried that I hope they keep it traditional. They have these new aspects of it. I don't know how it'll do though. If they add all this kind of extra dramatic cutscenes and stuff, I don't know. There's a time and place for those kinds of moments in games, and I don't think Pokemon is a series that it necessarily lines up with. So, thanks, Brian. Those are really uh, great suggestions, and I think they point out uh, that you know, specifically with Pokemon, how a great series can also have its flaws. Um, so thanks for that. And lastly, Matt, uh, he sent in some, well, he gave me some suggestions. He, he said it was a hard topic to think of, and I agree with him. I had a hard time coming up with my least favorite games, but he wanted to give out uh, just some shout-outs or call-outs, I guess, of some games that were not great. Um, specifically, Jaws. Uh, Jaws was a game that he had mentioned that he remembered not being so great and that reminded me of just how mass-produced licensed games were back in you know the late 80s and, and 90s and into the you know the PS2 era and GameCube and stuff and he was mentioning how his mom you know when they had their Sega Genesis would bring home games that you would get from a used game store and they're cheap because they were licensed games so the games weren't great but you know as a kid you don't necessarily think of these things right you're just happy you're able to play these games and stuff 
And so him mentioning that reminded me of all the licensed games I played as a kid that I thought were awesome. But now looking back at them and looking them up online, I'm realizing that there is a lot of really bad licensed games um, that I played that I thought were cool that weren't actually that great. I'm sure if I went back today, I would find that uh, they're pretty bad. So some, you know, thoughts I had around licensed games. Like you look at some of the, when I think of my least favorite games, uh, let's see here, at least one of them is a licensed game. And if you just type in the worst games of all time, a large percentage of them are going to be licensed games. One of the worst games of all time is E.T. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure if you are a video game fan, uh, you know all about the E.T. video game uh, event <laughs> that happened. So E.T. was a game that came out for the Atari 2600, and it was just literally the worst game ever. It was uh, developed in five and a half weeks to get the game out for the Christmas season, and it was just a terrible, terrible, terrible game. And there recently, I, I don't know how recent, but in recent years, they actually, in a New Mexico dump, they found a ton of E.T. Atari games that went unsold, that were just buried in this landfill. And so that just speaks that the volume that they had all these mass produced, millions of copies of these games that didn't sell. And so what did they do with them? They went and threw them in the dump. And so I think that goes to show that it's, you know, you're not going to get a great game if you try to push, if these developers try to push out this game because it's licensed and they think it will sell well. Now, in today's generation, we don't have as many games that are licenses from you know movies or tv shows thank goodness because a lot of they just don't translate to games very well and you know the list could is just endless of how many of the the worst games ever are licensed video games so matt thanks for giving your your opinion on that um i know that was mostly me giving my opinion on it but it, it did remind me of of licensed video games being notorious for being bad quality so thanks to everyone who sent in their least favorite games I of course am now going to share with you my least favorite games so number three is a game that came out three years ago and it is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5 so if you have listened to the show before on my video game history episode I went in great detail how much the Tony Hawk games meant to me as a kid. As a big fan of skateboarding and a big fan of video games, Tony Hawk games growing up were my bread and butter. I absolutely loved them. I played from, you know, the very first Pro Skater up until Tony Hawk's Project 8. That was kind of where I dropped off. I was a real big fan of the Tony Hawk's Underground series. I liked American Wasteland. Um, the ones that came after that I wasn't as big of a fan of, but I've been a devoted fan through the whole, all the generations of Tony Hawk games. And so when Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5 was officially announced, I of course was extremely excited because we can now play a modern day Tony Hawk game on today's uh, consoles. And 
so I was extremely quite excited but when it got released I hadn't picked it up yet I saw that the reviews were coming in were really bad so I specifically watched an IGN review and they gave it a 3.5 out of 10 and that's a really bad score right and so I was like okay let's give it let's check out what everyone else is saying about it and everyone was saying the same thing that it was really really bad um it had it just was poor quality compared to its predecessors um there was really weird physics issues there was performance issues lots of bugs uh, characters were clipping into the environment um the maps were very poorly designed um they were small the the game maps were small there wasn't a lot of exploration uh to them and so all that just there the, and the gameplay itself it just had really poor like it had its traditional uh pro skater elements you know collect skate find the three secret tapes but they also tried to add just some of the events the things you did in the game were really bad like i remember there was I sorry I eventually rented the game tried it out for myself and there's like a level where you are skating in like a pool and there's a bunch of beach balls and your objective is to get all the beach balls out of the pool and it's like what in the heck is this this is not Tony Hawk's like skating is skateboarding is supposed to be rough and tough and badass and I don't like what is this and so it it just sucked and I think the reason why I was so upset about it is like I mentioned I was so excited for this game and it it just didn't do what I was hoping it didn't have the comeback I was hoping it have and so because it got such a poor reception I don't see Tony Hawk making a comeback anytime soon I do hope that he partners up with a new development team and creates a new skateboarding series of video games and hopefully can redeem uh redeem what Tony Hawk's 5 you know with the poor release it had so Tony Hawk 5 number 3 by far worst game I've ever played now number 2 also quite recent Star Wars Battlefront 2 so this one hurts me to say and Eli my my nephew big Star Wars fan big Battlefront fan if you're listening to this take it with a grain of salt don't uh, I know you you like Battlefront don't get upset when I say this and don't let my words change your your thoughts on Battlefront because this is just coming from a perspective of a person who has played a large variety of games and knows what I like in games and what I don't like in games and Star Wars Battlefront 2 has a lot of things I don't like in them so when Battlefront 2 was officially announced I was pumped I was super pumped because they brought back the prequel trilogy, you know, the trilogy I grew up with. You could play as Darth Maul. Um, you could fly Naboo fighters, those crazy yellow, um, crazy yellow jets that a lot of people would say are ugly, but I thought they were cool. Um, and so you could relive those, uh, relive those moments from the prequels, you know, playing as droids and stuff. And so watching the gameplay trailer, I remember I was extremely excited. I'm like, you know, Battlefront, the first one, lacked on its content. It didn't have a single player campaign. 
you know, Battlefront 2 announced that they were going to have a single player campaign. And so I was excited initially. And so like most games, the game came out and I waited to see what people were saying about it. And I looked into it before I actually bought it. Um, I actually downloaded a 10 hour trial. I'm an EA Access member so I can play the full game 10 hours worth. And so essentially I got the full game, um, but I just don't own it. So I did get to experience it, and immediately what I found out, like everyone else, that um, the big change was how microtractions would be handled. So again, this is not news to a lot of you because this didn't just make news in the video game media world, it made news on uh, major news networks around the world. And they were talking about the microtransaction issues. And I think actually the microtransaction, uh, there's a, a, a Reddit post on Reddit somewhere, and it is the most like downvoted Reddit post in history or something like that. And so in Battlefront 2, they released uh, star crates, which were basically loot boxes. Um, the the first game handled a lot of its downloadable content through you know downloading additional characters and that kind of stuff but in battlefront 2 they introduced loot boxes and they contained basically random in-game items and they varied in like rarity of these items so you could eventually in game over time obtain these items but you would have to play an insane amount of time in order to unlock them um, there was somebody who did the math i think when this was happening and there was like an astronomical amount of hours you would have to play to finally get the unlock for darth vader one of the heroes to play or you know you could pay to get these loot boxes and hopefully unlock him and so people were spending money on these microtransactions to try to get this character because obviously he was unobtainable for a long shot playing through the game normally. And so they were spending all this money. But the thing is, is these loot boxes were random. You weren't guaranteed, you know, you weren't paying to get Darth Vader. You were buying loot boxes to hopefully unlock him. Um, so... The fact that you had to spend, it was essentially pay to win, right? If you wanted to win by getting these cool characters and unlocks, you basically had to pay for them with real world money, even though you already went out and paid $80 for this game. <laughs> and so, yeah, basically this was kind of found in the pre-launch, this, this, this loot box system. And so when the game actually came out and they saw that it indeed was like that and that it was a pay to win game, it just received a ton of backlash. Um, yeah, so here, let me look it up. I just for interest sake, because I'm on this Darth Vader thing. So yeah, Star Wars characters like Darth Vader um, could be found through in-game credits or found in star crates, the loot boxes. So the rate uh, at which players could earn such credits without spending additional money was considered far too slow with estimates of requiring 40 hours of play to unlock just one of these characters. So 
okay, maybe I exaggerated a bit of it being an astronomical number, but there's a lot of games that I don't even put more than like 30 hours into, right? The fact that I have to put 40 hours into the unlock one character I want to play as is crazy. So if there's like three characters, I'm putting in 120 hours just to be able to unlock those three characters. And so it's just basically showing that EA was doing this for a money grab. And so, um, yeah, it was it was a big issue. Um, so they made some revisions, reducing the cost of the special characters by 70%, um, but a large part of the player base was really upset about this. Um, so Disney, uh, who owns the rights to Star Wars, contacted EA over the situation, and EA disabled any of the microtransactions indefinitely until they could work out a solution. Um, so when, you know, the, the head of Disney is contacting you saying like, hey, what in the F are you doing? Uh, we're all being blasted all over the news. Um, you need to fix this. And so they put it on hold. Some more things happened. I don't, I kind of phased out from there. I don't know all the adjustments they did, but at that point I'm gone, right? The fact that they did that is, uh is poor from the gamer's perspective um and so that's why it, it makes my least favorite game um plus just in general i like i liked the campaign i didn't completely complete it but i got a good portion of it done um but it just it sucks because i think i was just so pumped for that game and to see it fall and i'm sure a lot of people felt the same way it, it just is a real bummer especially being a star wars fan um and that's why it's, it's classified as one of the worst games in my eyes. Maybe the gameplay wasn't terrible, but the execution of how this game was delivered to the consumer, I just can't look past it. So I hope that EA, well, it's funny because developers have learned from this big mistake and microtransactions are hopefully gonna be a thing of the past and the developers have learned that that is not a good way to win over the gamers the fans, the consumers. <laughs> so that is number two. And number one, worst favorite game. <laughs> it was not a favorite. This is just the worst game I've ever played in my life is Superman 64, a licensed game that was absolute trash, just terrible. Never owned the game, but I rented it from, I think it was Video Update. That was a video store by my house. So rented it for the Nintendo 64, and I'm glad that I was not crazy, because as a kid, I'm playing this game thinking, what is this game? This is a terrible game. And years later, when I got older, I you know, found that this game was considered to be one of the worst games of all time. And so I was like, I'm glad that I realized that as a kid, you know, I wasn't crazy. Like, this game really sucks. So why did... It sucks so bad well let's first talk about just how poor the gameplay was so th there was big issues with the frame rate um, there was an excessive use of uh, of fog when you're in the game you kind of are in this kind of open open type sandbox or whatever you want to call it environment and looking into this it's just fog like it's 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 really weird and odd um they had poor collision 
mechanics when you ran into stuff it would glitch out there is uh, times where I would just completely fall through the map um, but the biggest thing was the gameplay was just sucked the first thing you got to do is fly through rings like that's one of the first missions you're Superman like the one of the most powerful superheroes in the world ever created and you what do you got to do you got to fly through flipping rings and it was so hard because if you missed a ring that was it you had to wait for the timer to run out you couldn't restart you had to fail the mission and then try again and you had to get all the rings and I remember countlessly trying to complete this flying through the rings and eventually I made it and what's the next thing you got to do you got to go pick up buses because these buses and you got to take them to a certain spot on the map or something like that and if you don't get it in that timeline you fail the mission you got to do it again and so it was it's just stupid it's like why am I doing this right now I love Superman and so I thought this game was gonna be great I was gonna be a superhero fighting crime killing enemies and instead I'm flying through rings and picking up buses and that's it so I mean just go on YouTube and type in Superman 64 review and there's gonna be people with much better explanations as to why it is a bad game but it's just terrible um, I almost want to pick it up I don't own it but I almost want to pick it up so that I can relive those terrible memories of just to just to see if I was correct in this being such a poor game I'm sure it, li it lives up to being uh, trash <laughs> so that's it that's my three worst favorite games of all time um, yeah I, I had a hard time myself coming up with those games because some I don't you know I think I was pretty forgiving as a kid and I'm sure I played a lot of crappy games growing up but I was just happy to be playing games so I'm much more critical today if your game doesn't stand out I'm not gonna waste my time on you and I'm pretty pretty forgiving for the most part I like to give those um, smaller games a chance because I like to find hidden gems and stuff like that and if it sucks I'm moving on to the next game I've got a lot of games to play so those are my three least favorite games of all time and now to end off the episode I'm going to ask you guys the question what is your favorite first-person shooter of all time so this can range anywhere from the original Doom to GoldenEye up until you know PUBG if you want to classify that um, but this has to be a first-person shooter so no third-person shooters first-person shooter send in your suggestions give me your thoughts on what your favorite first-person shooter is and I will share them with everyone here next podcast um, thanks for joining me on this podcast I know this was a longer episode but uh, I hope to try to make it a little longer than 30 minutes to make it worth your time in the future so thanks for sticking around I will come back next week to talk to you guys with another episode. So till then, take it easy. <laughs>